The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. Uh, in the post-mortem of UFC 201, a very exciting card, a night of underdogs. I'm here with my good buddy, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Uh, Jeff is now the most consistent guest on the show, as he has been the only guest on the show. How you doing, Jeff? Bill, I'm awesome, and I just want to give you a shout-out on your humor. <laughs> so I'm happy to be here. And, Bill, let's get right into it. I want to talk about a prelim fight, the main event of the prelims, I guess you'd call it. And it was Nikita Krylov getting, I believe, against Ed Herman. Yeah. And he got such a killer head knockout. To me, it looked like it was out of nowhere. It was towards the end of the second round in an exchange, and he just landed it out of nowhere. And Ed Herman dropped like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, I mean, he was he was dead. I'm pretty sure his his heart might have stopped. Um, he Ed Herman not not looking so great. And I brought this up in the last episode. Ed Herman's one of those guys who is so hot and cold, and he seems to have nine lives. Every time you think the guy's UFC career is over, he comes back with some spectacular finish or you know a really solid performance, but not so much last night. Yeah, um, it was not... He looked a little tired, like it was a little too much for him. But, I mean, up until the knockout, Krylov looked pretty dominant. He didn't seem to have too many problems. Yeah, I'm very impressed with Nikita Krylov. Definitely a high-profile fight for him. Uh, An exciting fighter. I'm looking forward to seeing him fight again. And Ed Herman, I, I don't know how much more he can take. I mean, this guy has has been in some wars over the years. He's dished out a lot of punishment, but he's taken a lot of punishment. So, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're right. I think he might be at the tail end of his career um, just because he's taken so many beatings. Uh, he's a fun fighter to watch for sure, but I, I think it might be time to hang up the gloves soon. Yeah, definitely. At, at least maybe take a step down in competition, you know, bow out of the UFC, I would, you know, there are some interesting fights for him, at Bellator and elsewhere. Uh, I would still tune in to see an Ed Herman fight, but seeing him against elite fighters like those that exist in the UFC, I think his time has passed for that. Before we get too deep into this card, though, I want to talk a little bit about the on the rocks aspect of the show. So, what we're sipping on today is some Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey. So, how do you, how are you feeling about this, Jeff? Okay, so Bill, I've expressed to you that I'm not like an expert or anything on booze, but I do enjoy drinking it, <laughs> especially if you're not going to charge me anything for drinking it. <laughs> but the Tullamore Dew, um, I liked it. It was a little bit harder than the Hudson Bourbon we had a few weeks ago. Sure. But I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't too bad. It was smooth, but the aftertaste was a little rough. A little rough. Yeah, so you're a, a Jameson guy, right? Yes. Yeah, so I equate Tullamore Dew to a Jameson. They they both kind of have that rough finish, but it, it kind of has like a little bit of vanilla notes. Now, you said it's a little rougher than, than the Hudson Baby Bourbon we drank uh, a couple of weeks ago. So a bourbon is usually aged in wood or oak barrels which kind of mellows the whiskey out and uh, you know gives it a natural mellowness. I'm pretty sure that's not a word, but it gives it it gives it <laughs> it mellows it naturally. So Irish whiskey is t- is um, typically distilled in uh, more metal containers. So you get more of a genuine whiskey flavor with Irish whiskeys whereas bourbons and American whiskeys are are altered a little bit with that wood and oakiness. So, you know, it's a personal palate kind of thing. I 
enjoy all varieties of whiskey personally. Um, but but Tullamore Dew, I would definitely equate it to like a Jameson. I think it's a little smoother than a Jameson. And, and again, Jameson is one of those things in America that we, we enjoy as a shot. You know, a shot of Jameson. Some people like to do those disgusting pickleback shots. You ever do one of those? No, I don't even know what a pickleback shot is. Okay, so a pickleback shot is a, a three-quarters Jameson and then a splash of pickle juice. That sounds disgusting. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> horrifying. But, um, you know, in college campuses and, and fraternities, they're, they're actually drinking this stuff. I, I don't eat pickles. Uh, the taste is disgusting to me. So the thought of, of tainting or ruining a perfectly good whiskey with pickle juice really grosses me out. So that's making this Tullamore Dew taste a lot better to me. <laughs> the fact that there's the, no pickle juice yeah, in it? Yeah, the fact that there's no pickle juice in it. Um, but yeah, I think it's delicious. I, I prefer to sip it on the rocks, of course. Um, but it, it can definitely be done as a shot. It, it's definitely a, a higher quality whiskey. So taking it as a shot might be a little bit wasteful. But like I always say, drink it however the fuck you want to drink it. So let, let's jump back into this card. And I want to rewind a little bit. I know you didn't see the entire card. But early on the prelims was uh, a guy named Wilson Hayes who fought Hector Sandoval. Now... Wilson Hayes was supposed to fight your boy, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, on this card. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened there, but Mighty Mouse had to pull out for some reason. Now, Wilson Hayes, uh, you got to give the guy credit because he was supposed to fight for the title in a co-main event on this card. Mighty Mouse pulled out, and he decided to still take a fight buried on the undercard, which is very risky because, you know, you're up for a title shot. he could have very well waited to fight Demetrius for the title, and nobody would fault him for that. I know I definitely wouldn't, but at the same time, maybe nobody would fault him for that because nobody knows who he is. Probably not to his benefit to have taken the fight, mm-hmm. but I'm glad he did. Did he win or lose that fight? Like we said, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. He won in very impressive fashion. He snatched a rear naked choke, a very, very vicious strong rear naked choke i i posted a, a gif on twitter of of a a dog snatching a bear a stuffed animal bear off a table because <laughs> that's the way it it felt when wilson hayes grabbed hector sandoval's neck and just almost ripped his head off of his body nice but um i'm glad you bring up the fact that if he that taking the fight was risky for him because what happens if he loses not only does he lose his title shot, he loses a couple spots on the rankings as well. Yeah, and especially given the fact that that not a lot of people know who this guy is unless you follow the sport very closely. So the fact that he got the title shot in the first place speaks to, one, there's nobody in this flyweight division right now, and definitely nobody who deserves to be in there with Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He, he's essentially cleaned out the division. Uh, eventually, they're going to start bringing in the janitor to fight him or... or the cut man or or anybody else who's around because there's just nobody to fight this guy um and i know he's looking to break the record of most title defenses but i would really like to see him step up to bantamweight and challenge uh dominic cruz what are your thoughts on that well for those of you who may or may not know dominic cruz has already beaten demetrius mighty mouse johnson mm-hmm. but this was before two or three knee surgeries this was before Demetrius Johnson improved as much as he has. I feel like he's improved by leaps and bounds, especially yeah. in the flyweight division, because I always felt like he was small for bantamweight. Yeah, definitely. But he's also seems like a, a big fish in a small pond at flyweight. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, after seeing Wilson Hayes' performance, I'm excited to see him fight again. Um, I'll move on up the card a little bit, and uh, I'll go over this quickly. Anthony Hamilton had a 14-second knockout over Damian Grabowski. This was a heavyweight fight, and Hamilton just barreled through him and knocked the fuck out of him. It was one of the more impressive knockouts on the card. I don't believe they re-aired this. This was on Fox Sports 2. So it was a very early prelim, but Anthony Hamilton looking like a monster. 
So a little more excitement. And both of these guys in their upper 30s, which seems to be a requirement for the heavyweight division these days. Yeah, there. I don't see any super young heavyweights coming up except for that French dude who fought recently. Ngannou? Yes. No. Yeah. But he hasn't fought against any big names yet. Yeah. So we still have to see if he's a joke or the real deal. But I agree with you, Bill. A lot of the heavyweights seem to be getting older. Frank Mir, Alistair Overeem. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're top guys, but they're not young guys. Yeah. If you look at the top 10, I mean, uh, the youngest guy in the top 10 has to be Stipe Miocic, the champion. And he's not even a spring chicken himself. It's starting to seem like the heavyweight division, you can equate it to running for president. you got to be at least 35 and have so much political experience to even be a contender in this division. <laughs> Unless you're Donald Trump, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not go there because this is not a, a politics podcast. But yeah, there are a lot of different directions we could take that. Um, uh, I'll jump up a little bit and I'll pass over this pretty quickly. Jorge Mastaval had an exciting fight against Ross Pearson. Um, now, these are two guys that I respect the fuck out of because they're always game fighters. They're both so tough. Ross Pearson just fought a couple of weeks ago at the uh, Ultimate Fighter finale. And to jump in there on three weeks' notice against a guy like Jorge Mastaval, who's such a game fighter. You know, props, props to Ross Pearson. Uh, Mastaval did get the nod in this one. Unanimous decision. Uh, but a solid fight. Uh, and and Mastaval is one of those guys who, you know, he's dropped, I think, three out of his last four, but all split decisions to, to top contenders. Uh, what are your thoughts on either one of these guys? Uh, I'm, you hit the nail on the head. They're both awesome fighters. I love watching Ross Pearson go to work. Um, unfortunately... He's had some bad luck. He hasn't won too many fights recently. And the same for Masvidal. So I feel like a win for either of them was a good win. Uh, unfortunately, I did not get to watch the fight. But like you said, both of these guys are super exciting. So there's no doubt in my head that it was a good fight. Yeah, definitely a scrap worth checking out if you want to go back on Fight Pass or something like that. Um, that, that was definitely a good one. Another fight I want to touch on was uh, kind of a... I guess an odd fight. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I was live tweeting this fight last night. A lot of people were really confused by this one. And that was uh, Ryan Benoit against Freddie Serrano. And Benoit, a stand-up guy, Serrano, uh, <laughs> a jiu-jitsu guy. And at one point, to get it to the ground, Serrano did like a fucking somersault nice. on the ground in front of Benoit. But he wasn't like... It wasn't like a rolling heel hook attempt like Rory McDonald tried to do on Wonderboy. He just did like like a like a kindergarten kid in, in gymnastics class somersaults like <laughs> rolling <laughs> rolling towards him and, and didn't even make contact and Benoit's just standing there looking at him like what are you doing? <laughs> okay, this is what I gotta check out. Um, but I believe on the last episode you brought up Ian McCall. Was he supposed to be on the card as well? Yeah, Ian McCall was supposed to be on this card. Uh, he was supposed to fight Justin Scoggins, which I was actually looking forward to. That would have been a brawl and a half. And you, you got a feel for Ian McCall because the, the guy went through a whole fight camp, six-week fight camp, eight-week fight camp, whatever he went through, and now he doesn't get paid. And I, I respect Ian McCall even more now because he still cut weight and still got on the scale and weighed in at 125 now he's he's a pretty big flyweight i think he walks around around 150 so he he actually went through the the weight cut just to prove a point and um like i said last time justin scoggins kind of a piece of shit yeah i was listening to that episode and i agree with you man um you're a professional you know what you have to do because you've done it before there's nothing new here yeah, and at least pull out a little earlier so you know they could find a replacement for Ian McCall. Because another point I made was it's not like it's a high-profile fight where somebody's going to step up at the last minute to get in there with Ian McCall. They're not going to get a huge payday for it. You have to happen to have somebody who's walking around at 125 pounds who's willing to get in there with an animal like Ian McCall. Yeah, definitely never an easy fight. Moving on. Yep. The next fight, I believe, was Francisco Rivera. Yeah, Francisco Rivera, Eric Perez. Yeah, pretty solid fight. Um, nothing. I, I mean, these guys slugged it out. It, it, was, it was a pretty good war, but you know, nothing really 
nothing really jumped out to me about that fight. But what did jump out to me was a huge upset in Jake Ellenberger versus Matt Brown. Now, I know this is where you started to tune in. Give me your thoughts on this fight. Okay, so I thought that Jake Ellenberger, Ellenberger, I apologize, was on his last legs. Yeah. Um, I Actually, we have talked about this before off the podcast. Yeah. Where I thought that Matt Brown had this in the bag. Yeah. I thought Jake Ellenberger was on a skid. But boy, oh boy. <laughs> Bill, tell me what happened because I am still in disbelief. Yeah. So I, what, I, what I had kind of predicted was that, like you said, Matt Brown had this in the bag. But if Ellenberger were to win this fight, it would be early on. If he came out there like a man scorned, like a man who's about to lose his job, which he, arguably he was, and he he just came out there and exploded on Matt Brown. I dropped him with a with big bombs early in the fight, and then he, you know he was just all over him, and and I think he really took Matt Brown off guard with his with his aggressiveness because he he hasn't shown that kind of aggression in a while. I mean, I think he lost. What five out of his last six, if I remember off the top of my head? Uh, I get, let me hear your reaction to this. My reaction was, dude, because <laughs> because Jay Allenberger, it looked like he dropped Matt Brown with his first two punches. Yeah, he hit him with a quick left and then just a bomb out of right field, mm-hmm. and Matt Brown just flew across the cage, and, <laughs> and Ellenberger just swarmed him. I was super surprised. Just because it looked like Matt Brown, he's a taller guy. It looked like he had a bit of a reach advantage. Yeah. So the fact that Ellenberger was able to really just dominate the fight and use his vi- pretty vicious power that I didn't even know he had. Yeah. It, it was it was scary. Yeah, I mean he's he's always had knockout power. He just hasn't shown it in a long time. And I mean here's here's a fight that's like the co co main event, I guess you could say. With guys who have a combined, I think, two wins in their last nine fights. Now, granted, Matt Brown has has lost to guys like Damian Maya, Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler. So, you know, two former champions and Damian Maya, who you could argue is number two or three uh, right now. And I, the way I had put it in the last episode was this is kind of like a WWE uh, career match or... Uh, what do they call those matches? Yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a career match, I believe. Yeah, like a like a loser leaves town kind of thing. Um, now, when I had said that, I hadn't realized that Matt Brown had just fought, uh, just signed an eight-fight <laughs> contract at the UFC, and this was the first fight on it. So not off to a great start with that contract. Um, uh, hopefully he got a big signing bonus because it doesn't look like he's, he's up to be on a main event anytime soon. Definitely agree with you there, and... Uh, going back to Matt Brown's record, yeah, he's got a few losses, but again, they're against some tough dudes. Robbie Lawler, mm-hmm. welterweight champion. Johnny Hendricks, former welterweight champion. And Demian Maya, who's probably got the best jiu-jitsu, arguably, in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, Demian Maya, it, his jiu-jitsu is so high level. I mean, there, there were um, conversations about him beating Gabriel Gonzaga and tapping him out in, really? a, in an open weight jiu-jitsu competition. Yeah, I'll have to go back and fact check that, which, you know, I probably won't. But what, <laughs> I mean, you have, like I said, this was kind it's kind of on the surface, it seemed to be a, a loser leaves town kind of situation. But what do you do with Jake Ellenberger, who just had a highlight reel knockout, but it's not really marketable because of of his losses and then what do you do with matt brown who just signed an eight fight deal and got the shit knocked out of him yeah that's a tough one because jake ellenberger beat a top 10 guy he knocked him the hell out Mm -hmm. and now you have matt brown he's like i believe number five or something yeah he's ranked but it's like where does he stand now um, Jake Ellenberger, I, I kind of want to see him fight again. Yeah, I mean, after that performance, how could you not? Um, I would like to see him have a quick turnaround, you know, maybe October, 
somewhere in that in that time frame. I, I can't really say off the top of my head who, who I'd like to see him up against, but uh, I would like to see him, you know, get back in the mix. I know he changed fight camps, and I think that made a big difference for him. I don't know if he's going through some personal issues or whatever the case, but he definitely had a slump, to say the least. Um, but let's move on, and, and this was definitely a, a, a night for the underdogs. For sure. I mean, if you're if you're a betting betting man or woman, and you were you were betting on the underdogs tonight, you are very wealthy today. <laughs> I think all all five underdogs on the main card won, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Uh, moving on to the next fight, which I thought the underdog definitely won this fight. Oh yeah. And Bill, for me, the co-main event was fight of the night. It was Rose Namajunas versus Carolina. Kozvilik Kovokovic Kovokovic Yeah And for one thing Bill This was such a great fight I really enjoyed watching this Yeah To me In the beginning of the fight Rose kind of looked a little out of it I mean her expression looked a little vapid Kind of reminiscent of How Misha Tate looked In her fight against Amanda Nunez Uh, You could just kind of see it in her face That she wasn't all there I don't know if she had a rough weight cut or if it was nerves. She's she's coming in as a favorite against a fighter, a very tough stand-up fighter who was undefeated. And now I talked about this last time too because I, I kind of favored Rose in this one just because of her ground skills and, and she's a little bit more well-rounded. But the fact that a fighter who's 5-2 and two was a 2-1 to one favorite over an undefeated fighter is very obscure but not uncommon for this kind of sport. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, for one, I thought I agree with you. I thought Rose Namajunas had a big advantage on the ground coming into this fight. Uh, yep. The first round, I th- I kind of gave it to Namajunas. She did a good job of counterpunching. Okay. And she landed a few really good, significant strikes. And then round two was all Carolina. She was fighting... Her clinch game is ridiculous, first of all. Yeah. I was really impressed with her clinch game, especially because for most of the second round, she was on the cage. She was mm-hmm. with her back to the cage. She So she was pinned up, and she was still landing hard knees to the body, hard elbows. Yeah. And when Rose took her down, I believe second and third round, her grappling was... Carolina's, in this case, was really good. Yeah. She got out of some bad spots. She was on top. She was landing good shots, and I was really impressed with her ground game. Yeah, I mean, she definitely had some good defense on the ground, but I think you can credit that to a lot of those body shots that she landed in that second round. I, I really think that that took a lot of gas out of the tank of, of Rose, and I think Rose tried to stand with her a little longer than she should have. She may have had a, a ground advantage early in the fight when she's fresh, but she tried to stand with a stand-up expert. And I know Rose probably gotten some great tips from Pat Barry at home. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely I think a mistake on her part to not take this to the ground or close the distance a little sooner. And I think she was kind of lulled into a sense of security because in the first round she did land some big shots on Carolina. And I think she she kind of took that for granted and, and got away from her game plan a little bit or what her game plan should have been, which was which should have been to close the distance, dirty box with her, try and get her to the ground and control her on the ground and, and land some big shots there. Yeah, and uh, going back to that fight, in round three, Rose Namajunas looked like she was done. She got shut down in every aspect of the fight on the ground, yeah. uh, standing up. It looked like Carolina just had more in the tank. And probably those big body shots had a lot to do with it too in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. It took a lot out of her, but... Um, it, it also looked like Rose could have been finished a couple of times in that third round, but she hung in there. She definitely has a chin. She's definitely a tough, gritty fighter. I really love her fighting style, um, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing her back. But it looks like, you know, in a strawweight division that's essentially been cleaned out by the champion, it looks like we're going to have an all-Polish title fight going on here with Karolina Kowokowicz versus Joanna Jerczyk in... The spelling bee nightmare of title <laughs> contentions. <laughs> we'll just call them by their first names for now. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree with you. 
I mean, that looks like a fun fight. Carolina put on... I thought she put on a great performance last night. And all the credit in the world to Rosanama Yunus. She's a tough chick. I want to see her fight again. I love watching her fights. She just goes out there, leaves nothing to chance, and just, you know, starts going crazy. She's got awesome grappling. I I feel like her stand-up has definitely improved. Yep. Particularly her footwork. Yeah, definitely. So, I know you said call them by their first names, but... Karolina Kavokovic versus Yuani and Jerchik. I mean, this is just this is just fun for me to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that looks like a really exciting fight. I like I said, I feel like Karolina definitely proved herself. Um, her grappling defense was awesome. I was really surprised with her grappling, uh-huh. and I feel like if you bring that grappling to Yuani and Jerchik, yeah, she's got she, who has proven that she herself has some decent grappling defense. I feel like you're in for a really interesting fight because standing up, I th- I give the advantage a little bit to Joanna, mm-hmm. but grappling, I feel like Carolina has a little bit more of an advantage. But they're both Muay Thai fighters, yeah. So it's really exciting to watch. Yeah, I would definitely give a huge advantage in the stand up to Joanna just because her finishing ability is definitely. Uh, proven and tested. I mean, she she's gotten in there and finished girls in devastating fashion. Whereas, it seems like Carolina has some difficulty putting girls away. And uh, I mean, she came in a two to one underdog in this fight, which makes no sense because she was undefeated. And I think it goes again. And I know we've talked about this before, but marketing fighters it is very difficult you know fighters who have a great story are always going to be favored and rose comes from a tough background i know she she grew up not in the best circumstances she's got the whole thug thing going on and you know she's she's dating or married to pat barry who's another famous mixed martial artist and kickboxer so and and you know she's She's well-spoken, and she tells a good story. Her embedded episodes were a little bit better than Carolina's. You know, she's got, like, a cool story about training, and she's training hard, and you look at Carolina's embedded, and she's like, I bought some cookies because I like cookies. And (laughs) and that was, like, it's, it's a very difficult fighter to endorse and she doesn't have like the highlight reel knockouts or anything so as a fighter rose is much more marketable personally i would like to see her next have a rematch with carla esparza who as i'm sure you remember she lost to in the ultimate fighter finale um i just feel like that would be a great fight carla's coming off a win and rose is coming off a high profile loss that's an interesting fight to me and i, I would like to see that what are your thoughts yeah, I definitely agree with you. I would love to see that again. Carlos Barza, yeah, she won her last fight. But before that, she got destroyed, just picked apart by Joanna and Jacek. Yep. So I would love to see her and Rose go at it again. But I feel like if they did go at it again, the result would be the same. I feel like Carlos Barza would. Okay. But I don't think she'd be able to finish Rose. I think it would be a decision. Hmm. All right, interesting. So let's move on. And... I'm going to let you have your moment of glory here because you called this one. You said that Tyron Woodley would win in devastating fashion and have a glorious victory. <laughs> I I didn't necessarily disagree with you, but you know, the the fan in me was was pulling for Robbie Lawler cuz I'm such a fan. Um, but Go ahead, Jeff. I'll, I'll let you rub it in. <laughs> yeah, so, so the whole build, like the two or three days before UFC 201, I kept texting Bill, um, done that I was going to be away. <laughs> and I was just like, I just hope I'm back in time to see Tyron Woodley's glorious victory over <laughs> Robbie Lawler. Mm-hmm. Now, Bill, I can't take anything away from Robbie Lawler. He's been such a fun champion to watch, Yeah, especially at welterweight. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love George St. Pierre. He's, you know, the saint of the UFC. Sure. But he did have his share of boring fights. You cannot say that for Robbie Lawler. Yeah. I mean, every every time Robbie Lawler gets in there, you know it's going to be a war. You know exactly what you're getting. And he, I, he's one of the fighters that I respect uh, above most in the history of MMA just because he's so game. He never plays it safe. He's always going for the finish, and it 
you know, he has the kind of style where he doesn't mind getting knocked out. He doesn't mind taking that risk to put on an exciting fight. And, and you will never, ever see him play it safe and try to hold guys down or hold them against the cage, even though he, he does have a lot of wrestling credentials. But that style played against him last night where he seemed like a little bit too laid back, reminiscent of Luke Rockhold versus Michael Bisping, where he thought, you know, he could just kind of lay back a little bit and find his rhythm. And Tyron Woodley did not give him that opportunity. He came in there with a thunderous right hand and, and sent Robbie flying. And, and, you know, all the credit in the world to Tyron Woodley. Considering Robbie Lawler's chin, I, I mean, this guy has taken so much punishment. I think he actually holds the record for most significant strikes taken in UFC history with 650 plus. Wow, that's that's a lot. Um, and going back to what you were saying about his chin, yeah, dude, Robbie Lawler is battle-tested, man. It's not like, you know, his career is not a fluke. He has worked his ass off. Yep. And he is one of those guys who is just so tough, man. And I, like I said, nothing against Robbie Lawler. I like him. I like that he uses his wrestling in reverse to, yeah. keep, to keep the fight standing. But, dude, Tyron Woodley just landed a huge shot and going back to what you were saying in your last episode he you know if i felt like if the fight had gone into the championship rounds i think i would have given it to robbie lawler yeah because like you said tyron woodley he's a really muscular guy yeah and you know that all that muscle comes with a price because your body has to still get oxygen to all those muscles yeah and then he's been known to fade as fights go on I mean, we, we were just talking about before the podcast his last fight with Kelvin Gastelum where it looked like two sumo wrestlers trying to run a marathon. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, the, the longer it went, the worse it would be for Tyron Woodley. I think he knew that, and I think that's why he tried to catch Robbie off guard and came in so explosive. He kind of lulled him into a sense of security, like almost made him feel like he was going to let it you know, let him feel it out for the first minute and a half or so, and then just exploded out of nowhere. And very impressive uh, performance from Tyron Woodley. Definitely the best of his career by far, and it couldn't have come at a better time for him. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Tyron Woodley, I feel like he should have gotten his title shot a little sooner. Um, I mean, he's been pretty consistent uh, for the most part. And, you know, I feel like Tyron Woodley is one of those guys where if he had lost to Robbie Lawler, I don't think he would have gotten another title shot anytime soon. So I feel like he had, you know, mentally he knew that. So I feel like that gave him a little bit of an edge. And, you know, Tyron Woodley basically went in there like he had nothing to lose. Yeah. So, you know, he felt Robbie Lawler out for a little bit, uh, went for a quick shot on him. But Robbie Lawler did a really good job of stuffing that. Yeah. And I like the point you bring up of him going in there like he had nothing to lose because this has been a trend in upsets lately. I mean, we saw it with Michael Bisping upsetting Luke Rockhold. And these guys who come in here either, one, on late notice without a full training camp, or two, you know, Tyron Woodley came with a 17, 18-month layoff. You have to wonder, you know, does it speak to are these guys overtraining are they sparring too much? Are they overdoing it in the gym when they lead up to these big fights? And does a long layoff or does a short notice fight help these guys? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like because of the short notice or because of the 18-month layoff, there's less pressure on them mentally. Yeah. And Michael Bisping said something to that extent in an interview after he beat uh, Luke Rockhold. He said, you know, mentally I wasn't in the right place up until I got the title shot, but I worked on making my mind stronger. So sure. so I feel like that mental aspect is so important, and there's probably less pressure when you don't have, you know, eight to six weeks of training hard. And like you going back to what you were saying about the whole overtraining thing, you know, your body probably just feels better when you're not training like crazy. Yeah. Definitely. So this is this has been a trend, and you know it's interesting. And if you're if you're the guys who bought the UFC recently, you got to be a little scared right now because from a marketing perspective, you don't really have a marketable champion that's consistent. Every single weight class has been a mixed bag of who's gonna hold the title next, 
with the exception of the women's strawweight division and the men's flyweight division. But, you know, women are not as marketable yet. And don't get me wrong, I completely think they should be because I'm a huge fan of women's mixed martial arts. I have been for a long time and they put on some wars, some exciting fights, but from a marketing perspective, they're not going to make the money as the other big name fighters. But I mean, you have, you know, these big names like Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor and you know, go go back as far as Anthony Pettis appearing on the Wheaties box and I, I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but if you're buying the UFC and you're seeing all these titles change hands, who's going to be the face of your organization right now? Yeah, it's yeah. You hit the nail on the head. They don't have a Ronda Rousey now to to kind of or an Anderson Silva who just seemingly never lose. And um, going back to what you were saying about the titles changing hands, I believe that Mike Goldberg said in the title fight um, last night's title fight. He said something like, in the since January or since 2016 started, at least six or seven championships have changed hands. Yeah, I I think pretty much all of them. We, we talked about last time the state of the women's bantamweight division. It's like, who the fuck knows what's going to happen next? And, um, and this welterweight division is very interesting right now because you would think Stephen Wonderboy Thompson would automatically get the title shot after his impressive knockout of Rory McDonald. And uh, you and I were talking about this earlier where we saw a video online of <laughs> Stephen Wonderboy Thompson interviewing Tyron Woodley right after his fight. And he said, hey, Tyron, I know you're not injured. You had a first round finish. What are the odds of you and I kind of getting it on? Now, my I love Tyron Woodley's reaction. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, up before the title fight, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson was asked who he would prefer to face in a f- future title fight, and Wonderboy Thompson said, "I would want to go up against Robbie Lawler." So, Tyron Woodley's reaction was, "You said you wanted to fight Lawler, so you can fight him in September, and I want to fight Nick Diaz." Yeah, and you could actually <laughs> see the moment. Because this was a, a video feed, side-by-side, side, Tyron and Steven Wonderboy Thompson. You could see the moment when Wonderboy's heart breaks. Because as soon as Tyron Woodley says, I want to fight Nick Diaz next month, you could tell Steven Wonderboy Thompson immediately processed this and said, Oh shit, that is a money fight. I might miss out on my title shot and have to fight Robbie Lawler right now. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to fight Robbie Lawler ever. Now, <laughs> after, if you remember, after he lost to Johnny Hendricks, he beat the shit out of Matt Brown, and then he came back and won the welterweight title. Yep. So, you know, don't think Robbie Lawler is is just going to sit there and take it. He's, he's going to work hard to get his title back. Yeah, I mean, Robbie Lawler probably ran from Atlanta, Georgia, back to Iowa, and is there right now in the gym hitting a heavy bag. I I definitely wouldn't put that past him. He was definitely angry about that stoppage last night, which I thought was totally a good stoppage. Uh, He tried to stand up, and he was stumbling, and I know he was protesting, but he was definitely out. But but to get back to the Wonder Boy thing, I got equally as excited when I heard Tyron Woodley call out Nick Diaz and – I'm not the biggest Tyron Woodley fan, I gotta say. You and I have talked about this at length, but I have I I give him all the credit in the world for calling out Nick Diaz. Now Nick Diaz comes off his suspension tomorrow, and we've talked about this. He he was suspended for five years for marijuana after he fought Anderson Silva in 2015. That was reduced significantly to two years. Or, or one year, I believe. In any case, he comes off a suspension. Now, you have to credit Tywin Woodley. I mean, I know he's on a big high after knocking out the welterweight champion in devastating fashion, but to call out Nick Diaz, who's just been a caged lion for the last year or so, you have to respect that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Nick Diaz, he's so fun to watch. I, I love watching him go to work. It doesn't matter who it's against. Now, 
I'm excited for this fight, though. If it does happen, this is a money-maker fight. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have two totally different styles. Nick Diaz is obviously the longer fighter, but they're both good on the ground. And Nick Diaz has his sick jitsu game. Yeah. I mean, this is a fight that I would pay to watch. Oh, absolutely. And especially if you couple it with Nate Diaz fighting Conor McGregor, and this was Tyron Woodley's proposal. He said, Nick, if you want to fight on the same card as your brother, here I am. Here's your title shot. I'm calling you out. This is the biggest pay-per-view of all time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Bigger than UFC 200 by far. Yeah, and I think 202 was already projected to do more pay-per-view buys than UFC 200 just because of this rivalry with with Nate and Connor. Now, if you throw a title fight with Nick Diaz and Tyron Woodley into this, I'm totally sold. Wonderboy Thompson, take a seat, sit down, fight Robbie Lawler, do whatever the fuck you want to do. I don't care. I want to see Nick Diaz in there with Tyron Woodley way more than I want to see Wonderboy in there with him. Definitely agree with you there. Um, now, what is Diaz's record looking like? Up yeah, until, so uh, here's here's the problem. <laughs> Technically, he lost his last fight, which was at 185, to Anderson Silva. Who is the greatest fighter of all time. Arguably the greatest fighter of all time, and he was on steroids. Now... Anderson Silva on steroids, and he only lost a decision. Now, that decision was overturned. It's now a no contest. So, okay, you can kind of make the argument for Nick Diaz to get the welterweight title shot, but he also lost his last two fights at welterweight. Granted, they were against George St. Pierre and Carlos Condit, and they, they were, you know, decision losses. Nick Diaz has not won a fight since 2011. Okay, now, okay, so things change a little bit, but, I mean, can you ever count Nick Diaz out? No. (laughs) I mean, I know that maybe the statistics don't add a big lure to this title fight. Yeah. But I don't care, Bill. I I would still pay money to see this fight. Yeah, I mean... I, I would consider I would consider flying to see this in person. Uh, I mean, I, I was already uh, I was kind of losing interest with with the Nate Connor thing just because they're going back and forth so much and and from a technical perspective, I, I could talk myself into thinking it's going to go a lot like the first fight, and, and you know I don't really want to see that much of it. And Connor's been kind of quiet, especially after getting choked out. But if you put Nick and Nate side by side as the co-main events on this pay-per-view i i mean i would i would pay i would pay double you could probably charge double for this pay-per-view and and still break the records um from a fairness perspective you absolutely cannot give nick diaz a title (laughs) shot over stephen wonderboy thompson but at the same time when i saw stephen wonderboy pouting last night my initial reaction was, sit the fuck down, get out of the way. I want to see Nick Diaz fight Tyron Woodley. That's the fight I want to see. Yeah, and looking at the bigger picture here, both of the Diaz brothers, they're both the you know both bad boys of MMA. To see both of them on the same card, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And I don't know if there's ever going to be another chance to do something like this. Yeah, I mean, depending how Nick comes back... Um, I mean, obviously he's game, he's probably in shape, and and he got called out, so you know that's not going to bode well with him. I, I'm really excited to see how this plays out. If Wonderboy gets the title shot in November like he wants, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that's supposed to be the Madison Square Garden card, which I'm sure is going to be a huge, huge card. Um, but... Yeah, after hearing Tyron Woodley call out Nick Diaz, I have no interest in Wonderboy getting this title shot. I agree with you. Um, I mean, I, for one, I love how Tyron Woodley just shut Wonderboy down <laughs> verbally. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like you said, this Diaz fight looks more exciting, more tantalizing as a hardcore MMA fan. You know, the statistics, screw the statistics. I don't care. Yeah. I want to see. Nick Diaz versus Tyron Woodley 
and both Diaz brothers main and co-main eventing uh, UFC pay-per-view. Yeah, and then you have the possibility, and I know I'm jumping ahead here, if Nick Diaz fights Tyron Woodley and wins, and Nate Diaz wins on the same card, and I know I'm getting into a lot of ifs and a lot of hypotheticals here, he, if if Nate wins again, you got to give him the shot at uh, the 155 crown. Now, Nate Diaz against Eddie Alvarez, that's a fight I would love to see. And you could p- potentially be talking about the Diaz brothers running a table in two weight classes. That would be fun to watch. That, that would be a really fun era in the UFC. It would. And, and definitely a fun um, marketing experience for the new owners. Uh, I'm sure they they probably whoever they are if they're big businessmen I'm sure they're not fans of the Diaz brothers as people but um, <laughs> they're definitely going to do their job in, in marketing fights because that's what they've done their whole careers they've been the bad boys of MMA and I'm a little bit biased because I partied with the Diaz brothers in Orlando you know we had we had some drinks after uh, Nate's victory over Michael Johnson uh, that might be a story for another time. Uh, <laughs> maybe when the Diaz brothers are both champions, I'll, I'll get a little more into the details of that experience. But yeah, I think overall we've been kind of spoiled the last couple of weeks with all these huge fight cards and all these all these great fights and hundreds, hundreds of great fights yeah. in the, in the last month or so between the tough finale, uh, UFC 200, uh, UFC Sioux Falls. Uh, which you and I talked at length about. Um, and, and then this card last night, which was just phenomenal. And it, it was a little over underwhelming on paper, especially, you know, considering uh, everything that happened in the past. But, you know, it, it definitely delivered. So now that we've been so spoiled, there's not another pay-per-view for another 2021 20, days being UFC 202. And I'm sure, you know, we're going to hear a lot of buildup for this with the Connor and and Nate fight and I don't want to jump too far ahead so I don't want to get too far into it now next week is UFC Fight Night 92 and the main event of that is Yair Rodriguez and Alex Caceres so I know you have some thoughts on this yeah I'm not too sure of Rodriguez's record or how often he's fought I don't know too much about him but Bruce Leroy is a really Alex Caceres is a really fun fighter to watch you mm-hmm. know he he's had some awesome fights he has his record is not great but i feel <laughs> like he's an exciting fighter to watch i mean he's like 12 and 8 or something so his record isn't great but yeah you, you hit it on the head he is 12 and 8 uh and and won no contest and he's won his last two over cole miller which was you know kind of impressive but both decisions and before that, though, he was on a three-fight losing streak. So can you really put this guy as a main event? I mean, this is a case of, you know, he's flashy, he talks a lot, he does, like, the cool karate kicks and everything after he wins and the karate poses, and he's got the Bruce Leroy gimmick going on. <laughs> um, okay, I, I'm not too crazy about this main event, to be honest, but to jump down the card a little bit, um, you do have a very interesting fight to me um, from a technical standpoint, and that's Talos Latis versus Chris Camozzi. Oh, that is a good fight. Yeah. So now I know I didn't give you a chance to look at this whole fight card because I kind of wanted to get your your initial reaction when I when I brought up some of these fights. So what do you think about this fight? I feel like that could be the main event. I feel like <laughs> that too. <laughs> I mean, Talos Latis, yeah, I he's... He's a guy who's come and gone in the UFC, um, very similar to like an Ed Herman, like we were talking about. Uh, he's lost his last two fights, but he lost decisions against Michael Bisbing, current middleweight champion, and Gigor Mousasi, who's who's definitely up there in the middleweight rankings. So, I, I mean, Talos Latis, he poses a lot of problems. He's got really sick jiu-jitsu, his stand-up is much improved. And then you got Chris Camozzi on the other side of that, who has kind of been on a little bit of a tear lately. He's he's won three in a row. Before that, he got submitted by Jacare. So you can kind of question his jiu-jitsu, but you, you kind of can't because, I mean, it was Jacare. Yeah, and also Chris Camozzi is a huge welterweight. He's Middleweight. 
middleweight. I apologize. Mm-hmm. But he's a big dude. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like the matchup is good. I definitely want to see that fight. Yeah, I'm definitely tuning in for that. Another thing that is shocking to me, the second fight on the whole card. So this is, this is first of all, it's not even a pay-per-view. This is a Fox card. The very second fight where, you know, we've all seen the arena is always empty. Cub Swanson against uh, Tatsuya Kawajiri. Now, I don't see how you put a guy like Cub Swanson in this position. Listen, Bill, I'm not a big fan of Cub Swanson. I mean, yeah, he's a good fighter, but he hasn't done too well recently. I know he just got the shit beat out of him by Frankie Edgar before he got choked out by him. I believe he recently just lost to Uriah Faber as well. I might be mistaken on that. Uh, Yeah, so he lost to Frankie Edgar in November 2014. And then he lost to Max Holloway, who's, you know, on a nine-fight win streak right now. Yeah, tough guy. Um, And he won his last fight against Hacker Diaz. That was on the uh, Glover Teixeira Rashad Evans card. But... I mean, Swanson Karajiri is an interesting fight to me. I mean, these are two tough guys that have been around a long time. And, okay, it's not a main event fight, but to bury it on the undercard like this, I feel like does does neither of these guys justice. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I may not be a big fan of Cub Swanson, but he is a tough dude. He's put on some great performances. Same goes for Kawajiri. Um, these are two really good fighters. If anything, I think the lowest spot I would give it on a main card is, like, the fight right before the co-main event. Yeah, I mean, at least put it on the, the prelims, yeah. not, not, like, the fight pass prelims, or or maybe, like, a fight pass featured prelim or, or something like that. But, you, you know, don't kick off the card with this. I mean, this is, these are two guys that have, that have been in some—both of them have been in some wars. I mean, Coward Jerry's been in there with some big names, and, and he's had some impressive performances over the years. Um, but, yeah, so pretty interesting card next week. It's going to be, like, kind of a little appetizer to hold us over. And then, you know, after that we have two, two and a half weeks, three weeks, something in there before our next pay-per-view. Um, so we'll dive a little deeper into that later on. But, you know, UFC 211 definitely delivered. Night of Underdogs. Great talking to you about it over some Tullamore Dew whiskey. I know I know it might be a little bit harsh, but I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. Uh, is there any uh, kind of culminating thoughts you have on, on any of this? Just going back to UFC 201, I thought it was a good card. Yeah. It delivered uh, Night of the Underdogs, like you said, and, you know, some really exciting fights on there. So, uh Bill, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure to be here, as it usually is. All right. Always great to have you, Jeff. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any feedback or any suggestions for what we should be drinking on this show, uh, always open to it. So find us on Twitter. You could follow Jeff at Animal Wilson on Twitter. And you can find us at MMA on the Rocks on Twitter. So we're always looking to engage and, and hear suggestions and hear feedback and hear what you guys are thinking and drinking. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>